0: St. Alphonsus relates the story of a vision seen by a certain hermit. In this vision, the hermit saw Lucifer seated on a throne, and he was questioning one of his demons why he had been so long in returning. The demon replied to Lucifer that he had been delayed because he had been tempting a thief to not return what he had stolen. And Lucifer roared, let this fool be severely punished. Why have you wasted this time? Do you not know that he who has taken the property of another never returns it? Did you not know that he who has taken the property of another never restores it? St. Alphonsus continues, quote, and in truth so it is. The property of another becomes to him who takes it like his own blood. We learn it every day from experience. Innumerable thefts take place. How much restitution do you see? Close quote. Innumerable thefts take place. How much restitution do we see? Today we'll take a quick look at the obligation of restitution, an obligation which falls under the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. The Roman Catechism Ordered by the Council of Trent, edited by St. Charles Borromeo, and published at the order of Pope St. Pius V. The Roman Catechism draws her attention to the fact that the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal, and the corresponding obligation to make reparation for stolen goods, is another expression of the infinite love that God has for man. How's that, Father? How is the seventh commandment an obligation for restitution? How can those be examples of the infinite love of God for man? Well, the catechism explains that not only did God place our lives, our persons, our reputations under his personal protection by means of the fifth and sixth commandments, thou shalt not kill thou shalt not commit adultery, he also placed each and every one of our worldly goods under his own personal protection. With the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. And he forbids that our property or possessions be taken away or injured by anyone. God loves us so much that he's even put our personal belongings under his protection. So how does restitution fit into all this? In order to answer that question, we'll cover five points this morning. First point, the definition of restitution. Restitution. The second point, the necessity of restitution. The third point, the rules for restitution. The fourth point, some causes that may excuse from restitution. And the fifth point, common examples. Okay, so we'll cover definition of restitution, necessity of restitution, rules for restitution, causes excusing from restitution, and some common examples. First point, the definition of restitution. What is restitution. Restitution is either the returning of property to its actual owner. There's an ancient saying that goes res clamat domino, which means a thing cries out for its owner. A thing cries out for its owner. So restitution is either the returning of property to its actual owner, or it's the repairing of an unjust damage. For example, we go shopping, when we get home, we discover the clerk made a mistake and undercharged us 10 bucks. We owe that $10 to the store. We make restitution by returning to the store, giving them the $10. Or suppose we've damaged someone's good name by unjustly revealing the hidden faults or sins of that person to a group of friends. We must repair that unjust damage we've done to that person's name by doing our best to praise and build up that person's reputation among the same group of friends we were talking to in the first place, okay? So restitution is either the returning of property to its actual owner or it's the repairing of an unjust damage. It's either the returning of property to its actual owner or it's the repairing of unjust damage. Second point, the necessity of restitution. It is necessary for salvation... To make restitution for any notable harm inflicted on another. It is necessary for salvation to make restitution for any notable harm inflicted on another. God has placed all our belongings under His protection. He commands that we not steal. And if we have, then He demands. That we make reparation. As St. Augustine says, without restitution, sin is not forgiven. It is necessary for salvation to make restitution for any notable harm inflicted on another. That's the second point. The necessity of restitution is necessary for salvation to make restitution for any notable harm inflicted on another. Third point, rules for restitution. On another day, we'll examine the rules for restitution in the case of unjust damage. Today, we'll focus on the rules for restitution in the case of unjust possession of someone else's good. Okay? So these are the rules for restitution in the case of what we call a possessor in bad faith. In other words, these are rules for returning things we know don't belong to us. In order that we get a real good handle on them, we'll start by looking at a few examples, and then we'll give the rules for restitution For a possessor in bad faith. Okay. We'll start with a lawnmower. Imagine a man steals his neighbor's lawnmower. He knows darn good and well. It's not his thing. He has no right to it. He's in bad faith. So possession in bad faith means that the man who has the goods in bad faith knows good and well they're not rightfully his. Now, suppose a thief sells this lawnmower to another guy for a really good price, and he tells him the price is so cheap because he's stolen this lawnmower. It's a stolen lawnmower. Is the man who just bought the lawnmower, knowing full well that it was stolen, is this man in good faith? No. He's also an example of possession in bad faith. Okay, those are examples. Now, supposing in either of these cases, the man who has unjust possession of this lawnmower repents. What does he have to do? There's one basic rule, and we'll see how it plays out. The basic rule is a man in bad faith has to make restitution for all the foreseeable damage caused to the lawful owner. It's easy to understand he's responsible for the damage, so he has to fix it. Now, what does that mean concretely in these cases? First thing it means is he has to return the thing itself, if it still exists, in this case, the lawnmower. The second thing is, if it no longer exists, he has to restore the equivalent value. So even if he doesn't have the lawnmower anymore, he still owes the poor man he stole it from either the equivalent value in money or an equivalent lawnmower. Remember, it's necessary for salvation to repair any notable harm inflicted on another. Okay, let's take a little more complicated situation. Suppose that the original owner of a lawnmower used it for business, that he has a mowing business. And now there he is, sitting around without his equipment. He's unable to work since his mower was stolen. And suppose again that the thief repents. What does the thief have to do for restitution in this case? First, it's still the same. The thief still has to restore the thing itself if it still exists, in this case the lawnmower. If it no longer exists, he has to restore the equivalent value. Now he has another responsibility. Since a man in bad faith has to make good for all the foreseeable damage caused a lawful owner. That's the third point. He has to restore the profit which the owner would have made. Or reimburse him for the loss he suffers. In this case, the money lost from the work that he could have done has to be restored to the owner. Now remember, it's necessary for salvation to make restitution for any notable harm done to another. It gets scary when you start thinking about the complications in thievery. Now suppose an even more complicated situation, suppose a thief put some work into the lawnmower. Suppose he did three things. He painted it to disguise it. It didn't need paint to make sure that he wouldn't get caught with this lawnmower that he stole. Second, he tuned it up because it was running roughly. That tune up was definitely very useful. And third, because the blade was so dinged up and it could hardly cut, he puts a new blade on the mower. Then after putting all that into the work into the stolen lawnmower, he repents. What does he have to do now? Well, the first thing is still the same. The thief still has to return the thing itself if it still exists, which is his stolen lawnmower. Second, if it no longer exists, he has to return the equivalent value. Third, he still has to restore the profit which the owner would have made or reimburse him for the loss he suffered. In this case, the money lost from the work that he could have done has to be restored to the owner. But this time, he can deduct any necessary or useful expenses. A useful expense improves the item. A necessary expense preserves it. For example, the tune-up was a useful expense. The new blade was a necessary expense. But the paint wasn't useful or necessary. It's only done for the sake of camouflage, so he didn't get caught. He can't deduct the paint. Remember, none of these things are optional. It's necessary for salvation to make restitution. It gets scary. Now, we've talked about lawnmowers. Let's take an entirely different situation. Imagine a rustler who steals about 20 head of cows. And then two years later, he repents. What's he responsible for? First off, a a thief has to return the thing itself if it still exists. In this case, 20 head of cows. Not bulls, not steers, not calves, cows. Second, if it no longer exists, he has to restore the equivalent value. So if he sold some of the cows he has to replace that same number. Third, he has to replace the profit which the owner would have made or reimburse him for the loss he suffered. In this case, the money lost from losing two years of a calf crop. Fourth, he can deduct any useful or necessary expenses. Useful expense improves item, necessary expense preserves it. For example, he could deduct things like veterinary bills and pasturage. But here's the new addition. He has to restore all the natural products of the property lawn don't have natural products but cows do What are in natural products something produced naturally by the very nature of the creature, in the case of cattle the natural products of beef cows are calves the natural products of milk cows are milk and calves, for an apple tree it's apples for a peach tree it's peaches for a hay field it's hay and so forth so the rustler has to return any calves heifers, steers or bulls born out of those twenty heads since he stole them he can't keep them. He can't build up a herd on stolen cattle. They have to go back. They belong to the original owner. He can't profit by his thievery. He can't profit by that. Let's sum up this third point then the rules for restitution. The unjust possessor of another's goods must restore the thing itself if it still exists. If not, he must restore the equivalent value. He has to restore the profit the owner would have made or reimburse him for loss, he suffered. He can deduct any necessary or useful expenses. And finally, he must restore all the natural products of the property. It is necessary for salvation to make restitution for any notable damage done to another. Other questions should be referred to the confessional. Obviously, as in all matters, the confessor is under the seal. But the penitent, just to remind everybody, the penitent is obliged to keep the confessor's advice, secret. Okay. Fourth point. Causes excusing from restitution. Restitution can be delayed if it is physically or morally impossible. For example, if the person is seriously ill laying on their bed back in a hospital bed or they're currently poverty stricken, restitution can be delayed. Or suppose that someone's stolen a gun and the owner wants to use it to rob banks. This restitution must be delayed until the guy gets over of this idea that he's going to rob banks with it. He might have to keep that gun for a lot of years, in fact. But it, it's not your gun, but you're keeping it away. You don't say, ah, oh, well, it's not mine. I got it. Don't make restitution in that case. You hang on to it. You know, he wants to use a knife to go knife somebody in the bar. You keep the knife till he sobers up, stuff like that, okay? Restitution may be permanently excused if the owner voluntarily excuses a debt. Other questions should be referred to the confessional Remember, the penitent is obliged to keep the confessor's advice secret. Fifth point, some common examples. Shoplifting is unfortunately very common. Restitution can be made by buying a gift certificate from a particular shop for the mountain stolen, and then tearing it up. This pertains to common items. If it were a one-of-kind item, some kind of artwork, something like that, the very item would have to be returned if it still existed. Stealing from employers, either by taking their goods or by wasting unreasonable amounts of paid time, is another very common area in which restitution must be made. If someone finds himself in this predicament, he does have to make restitution, but he doesn't have to lose his job to do so. He can consult with his confessor. Another very common area in which restitution must be made is in the field of copyright violation. We don't have the right. To use pirated software, pirated videos, pirated DVDs, CDs, or to photocopy things like disposable school workbooks. These things are all intellectual products of somebody. They're making their living by producing these kind of things. And, and if we're, we're pirating them, we're actually stealing from the rightful fruits of their labor. So we don't, I don't care how common it is. God doesn't ask how common things are. This is sinful and restitution has to be made. Other questions should be referred to the confessional. Let's review. We considered the definition of restitution. It's either the returning of property to its rightful owner or it's the repairing of an unjust damage. We've considered the necessity of restitution that it's necessary for salvation to make restitution for any notable harm inflicted on another. We've considered the rules for restitution. The unjust possessor of another's good must restore the thing itself if it still exists. If not, he must restore the equivalent value. He has to restore the profit which the owner would have made or reimburse him for the losses which he suffered. He can deduct any useful or necessary expenses. And finally, he must also restore all the natural products of the property We've considered the causes that excuse from restitution. It can be delayed if it's physically or morally impossible, and it may be permanently excused if the owner voluntarily excuses the debt. Finally, we've considered some common examples like shoplifting, employee stealing, and copyright violations. Let's close with some thoughts from St. Alphonsus. Quote, Remember well, mothers and wives, when children or husbands bring home the property of a neighbor, remember well to chide and reprove them, not to applaud their action or even consent to it by silence. My brethren, see that you take not the property of your neighbor. And if during the past you have ever failed in this respect, make restitution as soon as possible. If you cannot at once make full restitution, do it by degrees. Know that the property of another in your possession will not only be the means of bringing you to hell, but will make you miserable even in this life. Amend and cure yourself of this vice. Otherwise, God will cure you of it, but by your own destruction. Take not the property of your neighbor. If you have ever failed in this respect, make restitution as soon as possible. If you cannot at once make full restitution, do it by degrees.